The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, If you are new, my name is Justin. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City. And uh, I had knee surgery on Thursday, so that's why I'm gimping around a little bit. And I'm a little slower. Um, I don't know if it's affected my brain, but it feels like it has. I feel a little slower, a little, little more out of it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will help me today because we got beasts to talk about. Right? Now listen, here's the thing. I shouldn't even have to have an introduction today because most of the time, anytime I say I'm preaching on Revelation, first thing they they ask me, 
Who, what's, what's up with the Antichrist? Who, who, who's the Antichrist? Well, today I'm going to tell you, all right? I've got pictures, slides. I figured it all out. I was coming out of anesthesia this week, and I saw it, okay? It's, all of that is a lie, but I'm going to do my best today. Um, you can open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. We're going to jump right into it this morning. Father, we, we honor your word, even the parts of it that seem like it's science fiction, like it's out of this world, like it's some kind of fairy tale, that you gave it to us to teach us something, you gave it to us to open up our eyes and to reveal something about who you are and, 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 and the world that we live in. And so we welcome it and we ask that you would challenge um, our 21st century um, preconceived notions, all of our assumptions that we have about the world that we hold because we've been raised in this century. Would you challenge those things? Would you speak light into our darkness? Would you speak truth to the untruths that we hold dear? Would you challenge us today? Would you speak to us through your word, Father? Would you help us? And me and my weak body and my weak mind, I ask that you would use it, um, that you would speak through my mind, or you would speak to my mind, Lord God, and you would speak through my mouth and you would help us hear your word and understand it um, for your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, Last week, we talked about um, kind of our New Year vision, where we came from and where we're headed. If you missed our, uh, that sermon last week, it is important that, uh, for you to hear it. So we ask that you go find that on the website and listen to it. And then the week before, um, Dr. Alex, Pastor Alex, preached through Revelation 12. And in Revelation 12, John had a vision of the dragon, the woman, and the child, this chapter was a visual depiction of the spiritual warfare that has been waging behind the scenes of all human history. When Satan and one-third of his angels chose to defy God and tried to seize his throne, they were immediately defeated and judged. They were all created beings, and therefore they were, they were no match whatsoever for God, the uncreated all-powerful creator of all things. God, the scriptures tell us, then created hell for the devil and his rebelling angels. That's why God created hell. That is their destiny. They have no hope of redemption. The angels have no gospel, have no hope of redemption. But God, in his providence, in his infinite wisdom that we don't know anything about, that we can't tap into, he did not throw them, throw these rebelling angels into hell immediately. Instead, though cursed, he allowed them to live and have access to his creation in some fashion. As God created the world and everything in it, Satan was allowed into the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve, our first parents. Satan has been trying to ruin the world from day one with his lies, his malice, his contempt. He, like a suicide bomber, knows his fate 
and yet wants to take as many lives and do as much damage as possible. So Satan opposes God by tempting Adam and Eve to sin against God. And it's here in the beginning of the story where it looks like Satan has won. God's crown jewel of creation, man and woman, have chosen to listen and obey Satan rather than God. Satan has done the only thing Satan can do, and that is take something that God has created and tweak it. Take something that God has created and malign it and mess it up and bend it towards evil. And yet in this dark scene, God does not do what Satan expects. God flips the satanic script. Satan expects God to judge and throw his people to hell where Satan is bound to go, but that's not what God does. God doesn't curse humanity in the same way that he curses Satan. The repercussions of their sin does result in a curse, but it's a curse with a promise. There's good news even in their bad news. God says to Satan, one of Adam and Eve's offspring will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Now, that is pretty cryptic language. But theologians call this the proto-evangelion. This, this is the first proto, first gospel presentation in all the scripture. It's the first gospel. God does not destroy his rebellious people. He gives them grace. He opens up a new way for them to find forgiveness, to be made right with God, to be, to be made new again. And he also, at this time, begins a story that is still being written today, a story that all of us are a part of. From Genesis chapter 3 onward, Satan has been trying to prevent God from accomplishing this mission. He has opposed God at every opportunity, inciting humanity to rebel against God, encouraging wicked nations to enslave God's people, and doing everything possible to prevent the serpent crusher from being born and rising to power. And as you read through the Old Testament, you begin to see that the devil seems to be powerful and the devil seems to win many battles. But as you move into the New Testament, you learn that no matter what things look like on the outside, God is going to win the war. Satan has done everything in his mission to in his power to ruin the world and to turn people away from God, all of this is an attempt to thwart the proto-evangelion. He wants to stop the serpent crusher and prevent his, his own demise. But Satan, over and over and over we see this, Satan is no match for God. And that serpent crusher is eventually born and he's protected by God. You even see the king of Jesus' day 
decides to kill all the newborn babies because he's heard rumors that he knows where he's going to be born and it's the time and it's the season. And so he tries to kill all the babies. But God protects him. Jesus is the serpent crusher or as I like to say, the the dragon slayer that was prophesied since Genesis 3. Took thousands of years to be born as a baby. And Satan failed to prevent him from being born. Satan further attacked God's mission by tempting Jesus to sin. Personally, the devil showed up in a battle with Jesus in the desert and yet failed to get Jesus to turn away from God. Satan then failed to stop Jesus' ministry to the sick and the lost and the sinful. Jesus pushed back darkness at every turn in his life. He healed. Jesus found those who were lost and brought them back into a relationship with God. And Jesus saved those who were granted by God the humility to own their sin, to confess it, to repent and turn away from it and to follow God in faith. Then in Satan's ultimate failure, he inspired the Jewish and Roman leaders to unjustly condemn, torture, and crucify the serpent crusher, Jesus, on the cross. It was here. In the death of Jesus, that Satan had no doubt thought he had finally succeeded. I have killed the dragon killer. I have crushed the serpent crusher. I've stopped the mission of God. I've won, finally. No doubt that was the best Friday night of Satan's life. The only problem was, Jesus was the son of God. And he was also a sinless man. Therefore, death had no legal hold on him. It had no power over him. See, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had never sinned, and therefore he owed no no debt to death. I wonder when Satan figured out his own mistake. It might have been when Jesus was doing whatever he was doing on that Saturday. Maybe that was when Jesus was taking the keys to death, hell, and the grave. That's a good image. I like that image. Satan dancing around in delight and Jesus come walking through the doors. Uh Oh, you've got something that belongs to me. Or it could have been on that Sunday morning. But this is what we know for certain, right? Friday led to a Sunday. And that Sunday morning, Jesus showed death who's boss. Jesus took Satan's most powerful weapon and turned it against him. Through his own death and resurrection, Jesus paid the death debt for all of God's people and he set them free from the chains of their sin and he earned for them new eternal life with God. It's interesting that as the just angels have been watching this story unfold, 
when this moment happened, they all just went bananas, all right? They, they went nuts. First Peter tells us that the gospel is such surprising and interesting and good news that the angels long to look into it. The angels long to look into it. They can't believe what God has done. God has redeemed sinners. God has taken a crooked stick and made it straight by the death of his own son. That's why they still continue to throw a party in heaven every time a sinner turns from their life of sin and turns to God. God's grace has a heavenly cheering section. But on the other hand, Satan hates it. Satan couldn't stop the dragon killer from being born. He couldn't stop his ministry. He couldn't derail his life and his obedience to God. And he couldn't keep him dead when he killed him. Why? Because he has limited authority. He is not equal with God. But here's what we see in our text today. The story isn't over. The ending has been written, but it's still being played out. Jesus has won the ultimate victory, but he has not consummated his eternal kingdom yet. And until he does, Satan still wants to destroy God's people while he has the chance and destroy as many lives as possible. So here's what we're going to learn in our text today. Satan cannot stop the dragon slayer. He's given up on that, right? But he hasn't given up on us. <laughs> he, he, he knows he's no match for Jesus Christ. He's no match for God Almighty. But he still wants to destroy us. And so the Apostle John wants Christians to be aware of Satan's tactics so that they can endure his attacks and remain faithful to God throughout their life. Jesus said, it's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. It's the one who endures to the end. The one who doesn't turn his back on his Savior. So this chapter today and much of the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic scouting report on the devil. It's a glimpse behind the curtain of spiritual reality, of the spiritual reality of evil, meant to make us aware of the devil's schemes and to prepare us to resist him to stand firm and remain faithful to God while Satan rages and tries to take us out. So as we interpret this chapter today, remember, this is a unique... I'm going to have to sit down, so bear with me. I don't like it much. Let me take a second. I haven't stood more than 10 minutes for the last three days, so... You might get out early today. <laughs> Key word is might... <clears throat> so this is, a, this is a glimpse behind the curtain to help us see into the spiritual world. And we're going to see Satan. We're going to see some of his tactics. 
And it's meant to prepare us to live in a world that's still maligned by evil, that's still attacked by Satan. Now, as we read this, listen, the Bible is made up of all types of genre of literature. We have, po- we have poetry. We have historical narrative. Historical narrative just... It reads just like any narrative, or his piece of history, basically. It just tells you what happened, right? We have um, all kinds of different genres. The book of Revelation, the genre is an apocalyptic letter, okay? It's kind of a blending of two different genres. It's apocalyptic in that it's telling a vision, right? And it's telling a vision specifically about the end of the world and the spiritual nature of our world as it is. But it's also a letter written to a specific people in a place. Therefore, listen, it's bizarre. It's out there. We don't have anything. We don't have a genre of literature like this around today. All right. There's no apocalyptic writing isn't being written anymore today. All right. That's the nature of the type of writing. But it's written to address specific needs of a specific church. Okay. And so When we're interpreting it, we need to keep those two things in mind. One, it's visual. It's meant to display spiritual reality. But two, it's also meant to meet specific needs of a people in a place. Okay? That's going to help us as we interpret it today. Because most of our problems is we read the book of Revelation the same way we read Exodus. Right? And when you do that, you, do, you can write bestseller, best-selling books, clearly. Left Behind has sold 80 million copies. Right? It doesn't take any imagination. They literally just added some names to this, and they interpreted it in a very literalistic fashion. The problem is it's not meant to be interpreted in a literalistic fashion. Right? So this is a visual depiction of a current spiritual reality. Now, if we interpret this literally... It's actually pretty simple. It's the simplest way to interpret it. And it also flats, flattens everything. Here, here's the deal, guys. Everybody wants to know when the Antichrist is. Okay, it's real easy. Whenever a guy with horns shows up, don't follow him. Pretty simple, right? You see a beast coming out of the sea? I'm not going to go with that guy. There it is. Let's go home. Let's take the supper, right? The problem is it's not meant to be interpreted literally, right? We are introduced in this text today to two new characters. And they are the evil henchmen of Satan, right? They are, right here, they're called the first beast and the second beast. They're also in other places called the antichrist and the false prophet. And together with Satan, they make up the unholy trinity, And that is a key to understanding what's going on in this chapter and understanding evil and Satan himself. Satan Satan is doing his evil parody of God. You know Saturday Night Live, right? Saturday Night Live, the best stuff on Saturday Night Live is the parodies, right? They take the president, they make fun of him, right? They take this person, they make fun of him. Now, all that is, is taking reality and tweaking it, twisting it, putting their funny bent on it. And we like it, we laugh, but it's not really creative, right? It's not creating anything new. Well, that's the way Satan works. He takes something of God and he has no creative power in himself. 
he twists it. He tweaks it. And so God exists in a perfect holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. No, you can't get your mind around that. Three distinct persons in God and yet one essence. Do you understand it? No. Do I? No. Will we ever? Probably not. Maybe in heaven. Maybe. Right? But Satan does a parody of that, and now you have his unholy trinity here. And it's interesting. This is, this is Satan's impersonation of Jesus. The first beast shows up looking all-powerful. He's got crowns on his head mimicking Jesus. He gets a mortal wound to one of the heads, but then gets healed with all the world watching. Oh, wow. Pretty original there, Satan. Right? The beast seems to be in control. He seems to be all-powerful. He seems to be miraculous. He's allowed to make war on Christians and conquer them. He seems to be ruling over every tribe and people and language and nation. See, he's mocking Jesus. The apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That means Satan uses deceptive tactics. He's deceitful. He wants people to think he's a good guy or he's not harmful. He wants to deceive people into worshiping him instead of God. So we hear, see here that Satan is a counterfeit God. He counterfeits the Trinity he counterfeits the lamb who was standing as though he was slain. And he even counterfeits the sealing of the saints with the Holy Spirit that we've already seen. The saints were sealed and therefore protected. And now Satan has his own sealing, what's called the mark of the beast on the forehead or the hand. Anyone who gets it is sealed from his wrath. And they can eat, they can buy, and they can sell. So what we're going to do is take a look at these unholy, at this unholy trinity, at these first two beasts. Let's go to chapter 13, verses 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Uh, its, feet were like, its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon, this is Satan, to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So this beast has a delegated authority from Satan. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. Okay, so in front of a lot of people, but its mortal wound was healed and look, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, what's interesting here is all of this imagery, the feet, the face, all of these different animals, this all comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 8. This is not new. John's not inventing something. The lion, the bear, the leopard, the terrifying beast, they all represent, listen, we've already learned this, four successive world empires, okay? They didn't represent people. They re represent, represented kingdoms. 
And these first four images here, they're, they're all kind of combined into one. So it's taking the four successive kingdoms that Daniel prophesied, and now it's kind of combining them into one beast. Scholar G.K. Beale says the combination of these four beasts into one highlights the extreme fierceness of the beast. So you can think of like four, these four dominant empires that rule the world. This one is more powerful than all of them combined. And that's what John's trying to get across. Now, this first beast is also known as the Antichrist. And most people, when I talk to them about the Antichrist, they assume they have an unbiblical idea or an unbiblical concept of the Antichrist. Their idea of the Antichrist is someone who's only someone who's coming. Some future guy who's going to stand up and he's going to declare that he is God and he's going to do certain things and he's going to pull people away from the worship of God. And so they always kind of have their eye out for some real dominant man in the future. The problem is that's not how the Bible describes the Antichrist. Let me show you. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 18, this is what John, same guy who's writing Revelation, says about the Antichrist. Children, that's what he's speaking to his, his congregation. It is the last hour. Okay, 2,000 years ago, he's saying it's the last hour. It's the end times. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Okay, so that seems like he's saying there's this future guy coming. All right? Uh-oh. So now... Many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now we're going to skip to verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So John here is teaching two things that we need to hold together. Did you, do we remember that two things can be true at the same time? Sometimes we need to remember that. The Antichrist has already come, is in the world. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ has the spirit of the Antichrist. Anyone who denies that God is God has the spirit of the Antichrist. But also, there is an Antichrist coming. Maybe one, the four kingdoms combined together will rule. So we got to hold these two things together. Now let's look at another scripture. 1 John, same, chap, same book of the Bible, chapter 4, verses 1, three, one through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist is none other than the spirit of Satan. The spirit of the Antichrist is, Sat is Satan himself. All right? One other scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or somebody on TBN or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Another term for the Antichrist. The son of destruction. Who, this is what he does, opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him, what is restraining him now so that may, he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing. Now, this is interesting. Many individuals, many men in history have, have been called the Antichrist. Right? Um, different Roman emperors, the, the reformers said it was the Pope himself, uh, different presidents, all kind, of, all kind of men, Hitler, all kind of men. Now, what we can do, if we have an unbiblical understanding of that, we can go, off. what a silly idea. And we kind of write it off. Obviously, those men weren't the Antichrist because we're still around and things are still going. Actually, it's not that simple. Were those men the Antichrist? I hesitate because the Pope, but absolutely, they were operating with the spirit of Antichrist if they were operating in a way that says Jesus is not the Christ or teaching some false gospel or false truth. Uh, were they the Antichrist that's coming at the end of time? Nope, obviously not. But any person that stands up and says, I am a God, worship me, obey me, or you're going to die, that person is operating by the spirit of the Antichrist. And what we're going to see here is the Antichrist himself actually might not be a person at all. It could be an institution. It could be, very likely is, a nation, a party. Look at verses 5. Let's keep reading. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority. You need to highlight that for a second. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Very specific time period. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell, on, dwell in heaven. 
Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Satan here kills anyone who doesn't worship him. Now here's, the, here's what we see. The first beast seems to be governmental. It has a military. It has the capabilities to wipe out people who don't worship it. Commentator Grant Osborne says, it represents all the empires throughout human history that has stood against God and his people. So though there's more than likely a guy leading that nation or guy, guy leading that empire, the Antichrist, actually the first beast, is probably referring to the empire itself. Verse 9 and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, so this is for the Christian who's living amid, in the midst of this evil empire. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. What's, he, what's the point? Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Harvard PhD Vern Poitras says this. this. This shocked me when I read it this week. Satan wants people to look to the state as if it were the Messiah. When the government is set forth as the remedy for all humanity's ills, economic, social, medical, moral, even spiritual, then the idolatry of the state usurps the place reserved for God alone. Whenever we sing the secular doxology, praise the state from whom all blessings flow, we will soon be serving the beast. In his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, Christian writer C.S. Lewis describes how a senior demon, Screwtape, mentors a junior demon named Wormwood through a series of letters, and in one letter, Screwtape advises Wormwood, what we want, quote, what we want if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology. If they must be Christian, let them be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with the Christian coloring. So what John is warning against here is maybe even Christianity and your personal political party. Christianity and the United States of America. 
Is there anything wrong with being a patriot? Absolutely not. Nothing wrong with being a patriot. As long as those two things aren't on the same playing field, they're not on the same level. Christianity and, they're not equal. Does scripture trump your politics? Does Christian rebuke your president? Does your Christianity rebuke your political parties? There are no political parties on the face of this earth that represent Jesus Christ the way that Jesus Christ wants to be represented. And here, John's warning that the spirit of the Antichrist is actually going to take a political or a kingdom approach. He's going to get Christians to worship the state. I'm going to keep going. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast. Here we go. Number two. Rising up out of the earth. The first came from the sea. The second one comes from the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. Mocking Jesus. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Now look, just like Satan just wants to mock, Satan's goal, he can't stop the the proto-evangelion. He can't stop the gospel. He can't stop God from redeeming us. So what does he want to stop? He wants to rob God of the praise due his name. He wants people to stop worshiping Jesus for meeting every every need and start worshiping their state, start worshiping their country, start worshiping something other than Jesus. Something other than Jesus becomes more meaningful to their existence. That, That person that was made to worship God is actually worshiping something else. This whole chapter, if you read, just read through and underline or circle how many times the word worship appears. Satan wants to rob God of the worship that he's due. It, what verse am I in? It makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. This second beast performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. Now this is, this, this, this second beast seems to be some kind of minister of propaganda. This could be a false prophet who declares false religion. This could be a political advisor. This could be a technological leader. These could be miraculous things or just merely Technological advancements. This could be a corporation who, give, who kind of gives the, the power and the clout and the praise to the kingdom. Let's keep reading. It deceives those who dwell on, uh, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, look, it deceives. It deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So this is idolatry. Many, this has happened, uh, this was happening in the time this book was written, that, that um, different emperors 
commissioned statues of themselves to be built around the area. So everybody knew who the Lord was. Everybody knew who, who to worship. And the people were made to bow down and worship the image. Verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast, the image of the beast, to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. This is the mark of the beast. Now, what's interesting, we've already learned in Revelation that the number seven symbolizes perfection and completion. God created everything and rested in seven days. So seven is the perfect number, wholeness. Well, the number six is significant as well. Six falls short of seven. It is not complete. It is meant to symbolize imperfection, incompleteness, and defectiveness, almost. Six is almost seven. This is meant to describe sinful humanity. That's why John says that it is, quote, the number of man. Now, what this also does, the number 666 also symbolizes the unholy Trinity, Satan the beast, or Satan the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are the imperfect Trinity. They try to mimic God but can't come close, and are a they result in a Trinitarian failure. The right worship of God declares him holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. The mark of the beast is 666 imperfect, incomplete, and defective are Satan and all his henchmen. He's the great almost. And then this is important for us. Verse 18. He talks about the mark of the beast, 666, on the head and the forehand, or forehand, head, head on the hand. This calls for wisdom. Wisdom, not speculation. What is the mark of the beast? It calls for wisdom. Think about it, not speculation. If they want to put my debit card in my hand, I'm going to let them put my debit card in my hand. That is not the mark of the beast. This is wisdom. This isn't speculation. This isn't something that we have to I'm not going to get into it. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Satan is already deceiving people. Now, if they say, put your debit card in your hand, if you don't worship the state, I'm like, okay, I'm getting, all right, no, I'm not going to do that. Right? The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Satan is already deceiving people. He's actively working to turn people's eyes away from the real Jesus and from the church, Jesus' people, toward the state or something else. Satan wants 
people to go to the state for what they should be going to Jesus for. John wants us to be able to tell the authentic Jesus from false saviors. I know some of you got really nervous when I just said that. What's the difference between a debit card in your pocket and a debit card in your hand? Is there a difference? There's not. There's no difference. The mark of the beast is not going to be a debit card in your hand. Right? Like it somehow becomes demonic if you take it from your wallet and you put it in your hand. It somehow just became demonic. It's not it. I know we've been like, our culture has said that. Our culture has, pro- there's all these prophets out there on the internet who, who are claiming all these, these, these different things and how the European Union and one world government and it's all gonna come together. And Don't you ever get your debit card put in your hand? Listen, if technology keeps advancing, it's probably going to go somewhere and maybe it's in our eye. I don't know where it's gonna go, right? If the sci-fi movies are correct, Right? What's going on with the mark of the beast is a dependency. They're wanting to get dependency away from Jesus and on the state, on Satan. He's wanting to rob the worship that's due Jesus and due God. He's wanting to steal it for himself. That's what it's about. Now listen, banks and businesses train employees to spot counterfeit bills by making them personally familiar with authentic bills. Put it in your hand. Feel it. Real and fake. They feel differently. The only way to be able to determine the authentic Jesus from a counterfeit Jesus is be, by being acquainted and familiar with the real Jesus. How do you get acquainted and familiar with the real Jesus? Two ways, through his scripture and through his church. That's it. Through his scripture and through his church. That's it. This is why you should know Jesus from his word. This is why you should read your Bible on a daily basis. This is why you should be intimately involved in a church that preaches the gospel. Because right now, the spirit of the Antichrist is in our world trying to deceive people away from worshiping the true Jesus and worshiping some false savior, some Antichrist. I want you to remember as we close right now that John was seeking to encourage first century Christians who were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. So for us today, we should receive comfort from John's letter. Not only do we know the certainty of Christ's victory and Satan's defeat, we also know we're made aware of the tactics of Satan. We're aware of what what tools and tricks he's trying to use to deceive God's people away, namely deception, right? He's trying to deceive us. He's trying to trick us. He's a parody of God. Nevertheless, from this chapter, Christians can take comfort that Satan's activities are limited. 
John makes sure we see and over and over and over that, God, that Satan's power is not ultimate. Any power or authority has was, quote, given to him. And he can only act, quote, for 42 months. Thus, God is still on the throne and God is still in control. Second, because God is on his throne, salvation is secure for the believer. I know many of you have a problem with this. Chapter 13, verse 8. Notice those whom John identifies as being led astray to worship the beast. They are everyone whose name was not written in the book of life. John encourages believers by reminding them of the absolute sovereignty of God. He will not lose anyone whose name is written down in the book of life. Third, by emphasizing the security of the believer, John underscores the importance there is new, no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Your name is, you either worship Jesus or you worship the beast. Now that blows your mind and when I say it, I know it sounds crazy. That's it. There's only two spirits in the world. The spirit that leads you to Christ and the spirit that leads you away from Christ. You could say it's the spirit of the self. You could say it's the spirit of the self-help, the spirit of the government. You could say whatever it is, anything. That's the only two spirits in the world, the spirit that leads you toward Christ or the spirit that leads you away from Christ. And there is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. You worship Jesus or you worship the beast. Your name is in the book of life or your name is not in the book of life. And if it's not in the book of life, you're vulnerable, damned to worship the beast. Therefore, John writes, if anyone has an ear, he should listen. If anyone has an ear, he should listen. What's wrong with the world? We could answer that many different ways. But we could go back and say, what's wrong with the world is there's the spirit of the Antichrist still making war on the dragon. And though the dragon, I'm sorry, still making war on the dragon slayer. And though the dragon slayer has ultimately won, his people are still here and the enemy rages against us. That's what's wrong with the world. And I offer you this gospel this morning that Jesus Christ lived for you, Jesus Christ died for you, Jesus Christ secured your salvation, went to the throne of God. He made sure your name is written in the book of life. And if you put your faith in him today, you can be sure your name has already been written from the foundations of the world in the book of life. The only reason you would choose to believe in Jesus Christ, the only way you would turn away from the spirit that's in the world is if your name was already written in the Lamb's book of life. That writing enables you to put your faith in Christ. Will you understand that? No. Do I understand that? No. So if anyone has an ear this morning, they should listen. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that your word is profitable, that your word is true. Even when it's like this and it gives us a glimpse into the spiritual reality, 
of evil, of spiritual reality of good, the spiritual war that's going on. I pray that you would use this to encourage your people, that you will keep us faithful. You'd also encourage your people to fight the fight of faith, to make every effort in their life to resist sin, to push back against darkness, to follow you, to trust your word, to put their faith in you. That no Christian would sit back on their haunches and just say, well, it's all determined anyway, or I guess my name is written or it's not written. But we would say, no, we're pushing on. We're going to endure. We're going to fight because Christ has written my name in his book. Give us endurance, Lord. And as we come to your table, let us remember that in Satan's greatest victory was his ultimate defeat. That in the death of Christ, death was destroyed. And though death still clings to us, there's coming a day in the future where we will never die and we will live with life itself, you, forever. Jesus, thank you for defeating death. Thank you for conquering Satan. Thank you for defeating the Antichrist. We put our hope and our trust in your broken body and your shed blood this morning. It's not in our own strength that we can conquer. It's in the blood of the Lamb. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.